one of the elders here at Grace Church. I'm in charge of the teaching team. We're really glad that you're with us this morning. We have a lot of visitors. We have a close friend from Portland who's visiting and other friends uh, who are here for the first time. We're really glad you're here. If you're watching on our live feed on Facebook or if you're listening on podcast as well, we're really glad that you're joining with us um, in this space at this time. And what we'd like to do as we transition out of our time of greeting, of encouraging one another, is to give space for the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take just a few moments, calm ourselves down, bring our awareness back here present to what's going on, make room for the Holy Spirit. So we'll take a few minutes in silence, and then we'll stand together and pray the Lord's Prayer as we enter the Word today. Stand with me as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So, one in 12 men and one in 200 women are colorblind. Now, I have a hard time imagining this. I'm I'm not colorblind, and color plays a big role in my life, and my wife is an artist, and our house is filled, filled with color. And even just navigating things, I'm, I'm not quite sure even how that would work if you were colorblind. But uh, Alex and Teresa's son, Nick, is colorblind. He's one of the 12. Statistically, he falls in that category of 1 in 12. And they, I don't know if you know this, but they've come out with new glasses that for colorblind people, if you put it on, you can see color. Like it corrects the deficiency where you can see color. And so they gave, they, they gave Nick a pair of these glasses for, um, was it a birthday or Christmas, for Christmas. Now, you, you know, we all see the YouTube videos, right, of people doing that, like the person who hears for the first time or sees for the first time and they all go crazy. Well, you got to know Nick's pretty even keel. <laughs> like he, he's a very just even keel. And so as they tell the story, you know, he puts on the glasses and he looks around, and he's like, hmm, well, this is interesting. <laughs> but as he took them off, their son-in-law, Trip, said, well, let me see those. And he put them on, and it was the YouTube moment. It was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? There's co-. He didn't even know he was colorblind <laughs> until he put the glasses on <laughs> with that. Today, we're going to talk about faith. And we're going to encounter one of the most widely known scriptures 
in all of the Bible. But we're going to see that if we don't have the right lenses on, if we're not looking at this through the right lens, we're not going to understand what it is. And for some of us, it's going to be, well, but I dare say for most of it, it's going to be, wow. Pray with me. Jesus, you're the reason why we're here. You're the reason why we're gathered. You're the reason why we got up this morning. We want to know you. We want to love you more deeply. We want to follow you more closely. We want to see your kingdom come and spread throughout this entire earth. We want no one anywhere to be deprived of the knowledge of you and your kingdom. And we want to be agents of your restoration in this world. We want to walk in humility, seeking justice. So Jesus, give us what we need to see your word in full, vibrant color this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. We're going to see today that faith is the way into our born-from-above identity. And that identity is key to everything else. So we're walking our way briefly through the book of John as it leads us up to Lent and to Easter. And we've we followed Jesus now through a number of little series last week with him tossing over tables in the temple. And now he's, he's in a place and one of the Pharisees is going to come to him and ask him a question. Well, let's look at it in the text. John 3. Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with them. Now let's stop for a minute and just reminder, the, the Pharisees were the ruling council, religious, they were the religious conservatives, they were the one who had kind of the, the appointed task of making sure that everything was kosher, everything was staying within the rules of what was prescribed in the Torah and the writings after that. Nicodemus was a leader among that group, but he comes at night. And whereas we see so many tense counters with Jesus and the Pharisees during the day, when there's a lot of people watching, Nicodemus is seeking a private audience, and I believe genuinely wanting to understand who this Jesus was. And Jesus replies to him when he asks this question. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. Now we have to stop here and see what's going on. If we don't understand the translations, we're going to miss what's happening. And it's similar to this. So, so many of you know that I have a cross-cultural marriage. I'm from Texas, and my wife is a Yankee. So, so this caused not a, a little bit of conflict when we were first married. Because we would use 
the same vocabulary. We would use the same words, but we were using two very different dictionaries as to what those words meant. And so there was a lot of misunderstanding, and there was quite a bit of tension until we started to learn really what each other's language were and what they meant by the word that we thought meant a different thing, right? Well, that's kind of what's happening here, because, because in the translation, this word from above is also again. That's why a lot of our translations, a lot of the translations you read say, unless a man is born again, which makes much more sense, which makes Nicodemus's response much, have much more sense when we translate that again. But if we translate it as above, which is also a legitimate translation, well, then Jesus' response is there. So what we have in this situation are two people using the same vocabulary, two different dictionaries with that. How often is that true with all of us? Not just in our marriages, but in our day-to-day lives and the people that we encounter. And how often is it particularly true when we read the Bible that we think this word means something and God has a different meaning with that. And that's why we study. That's why we apply ourselves. That's why we're so diligent in our learning guides here as we create and craft these questions and as we put them out for our, our grace groups to study through. We have to handle the Word of God carefully and diligently. We cannot make assumptions about it. We cannot just expect a superficial reading in a superficial reading for us to truly understand what is happening. Well, let's go on. And Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born from above. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born by the Spirit. My family travels a lot, and we go into different countries and different places. We always have to have ID on us. And when we apply for a new passport or a visa or something, uh, a mere driver's license won't usually suffice, just with our name and current address. What we have to supply instead is a birth certificate. Something that says, hey, where were you born and who were you born to? That, that's kind of the root of our identification. When things are really important, just a mere, hey, where, are, where do you live now? What's your name? That won't suffice. It's like, who are you? Where were you born? Who are your parents? Like, you have to know the roots, right? It's like our origin determines these, thing about, these things about us, the important things about us. Let's not miss what Jesus is doing here. Is he saying, in a way, he's validating that. He's saying, absolutely true. The most important thing about you, who are your parents? Where are you born from? Where do you come from? Except he changes that. And he says, but I'm telling you, when you are born of the Spirit, All that changes. In a way, we get a new 
birth certificate. We get something that says, I am no longer constrained by my parents, the natural birth, but my core identity, the most important thing about me, the essential thing about determining my destiny is no longer, hey, that I was born to Jack and Alice Ray in Austin, Texas, but that I've been born from above, that God is my father, that my destiny, my residence, my, my inheritance is in heaven. It's in the kingdom of God, that everything about me has been changed because of this second birth, this birth of the Spirit, this birth that's not by water, but by the Spirit of God. And in a strange way, in a strange way, just like I didn't have any choice in being born to who or where or how I was born, God chooses us. But He invites us, unlike our natural birth, He invites us to enter into that by faith. And that's what we're going to see going forward. Now, let me just say one thing here, though. When we start talking about families of origin and our parents and stuff, sometimes our family of origin can be the biggest obstacle to our spirit-born faith. What I believe God meant to be a an image of, or a, a way of understanding spirit-born faith, our human parents. Sometimes that can become an obstacle to knowing God as Father. Sometimes that can become an obstacle because we, we project the dysfunctions, we project the pain, we project the misunderstandings that are created because we're all human, we're all sinners, we're all we all mess it up. There is no perfect family out there. But some are, some are really difficult. And then when we hear words like God is a father and this is a family and this is our new birth, we have trouble leaning into that because of our families here. And so what I want us to hear, especially if you're one of those people, especially if you're sitting here and you go, yeah, that's me. Like, you don't know my story. My family was horrible. You need to hear about this rebirth. You need to understand about this faith being born way of living that transforms that and gives you what you have been created for and what you've longed for. Let's keep going. Nicodemus replied, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. I have told you about the earthly things, and if I have told you about the earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then here we go, right? For this is the way God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. People, has there ever been a better motivation for faith than this? God loves us. We are not left alone. We don't have to earn God's attention. We don't have to earn God's favor. This love is proven in the person of Jesus. This is the cosmos changing promise and declaration. God loves the world. And like all true love, this love is proven. It is not just words, but it is action. It is action in the coming of the person of Jesus. This is why Jesus came, to put feet to that proclamation, to embody the very essence of the declaration that God loves us, Jesus came to us, was born and showed us, demonstrated that love. Because we have to be careful when we talk about issues of faith because, listen, everybody believes in something. It's not a question of do you believe or do you not believe. Everybody believes in something. We have to have faith just to get through the day. The question is, what do you believe in? Where is your faith? In whom? In what? Where is your faith? And Jesus, by coming, demonstrates and declares, as we're going to see as we walk through the remainder towards Easter, what happens, that the only place where we get the eyes to see, where we get the, the grace to be alive, where we slough off the condemnation of blindness, is when we put that faith in Jesus. And this faith, when we do that, when we place our faith, when we take our faith and we place it in Jesus, it gives us understanding on what is invisible. It's not something that's understood rationally or something that we can create an apologetic for. There's a place for apologetics, but when it comes to faith, that, that transcends apologetics. It enters, we enter into this mystery. We're given these lenses to see and to comprehend but just because we see something different doesn't necessarily mean we understand it right away. We enter into the mystery. And this faith leads us towards something. Now listen, most of us, if you're like me and you grew up in a, in a household that was really concentrated around apologetics and, and this idea of praying a prayer and avoiding hell when you die, yes, nobody wants to go to hell, okay? It's not a good thing. Don't go. Stop. Turn around. But somehow, it's very easy to, to see that as the goal. To see that the goal of faith is simply to avoid the bad place when we die. Uh, listen, that's a part of it, but in a way, it, it's a small part. An important part. necessary part. But historically, the church has understood that faith was for much more than that. One of the early church fathers, a man named Athanasius. How's that? Anybody, you looking, Cody, Heather, y'all still looking for names? Uh, Athanasius. 
It's a good one. Um, he said this. He said the whole point of God becoming human, the whole point why, why God had to become incarnate in Jesus, was that we might be reformed in the likeness of God. So that we might become the image of God and imitators of Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. That's that's where Jesus is leading you. That's where Jesus is leading us. That's what his love does. It transforms us, reforms us, redeems us, reconciles us, and puts us on the path to our entire identity, even the core identity of our paternity, even the core identity of whose family we're in, in such a way that we become the Imago Dei. We are restored to what we were created to be which is this reflection of the creation of God and imitators of Jesus. What what more could there be? What else is worthy to live for? What more could motivate us to love, to give, to be together? What more could motivate us to give our first and our best and our most to following Jesus, to know that's our destiny. That's why Jesus came. That was the destiny from the first that we lost in the fall that was restored in Jesus and will be culminated when he comes again. That's the whole trajectory. That's the whole arc. That's the meaning of life right there is that God so loved the world that he came That we would not perish in our condemnation, but we would be reformed, reborn, and able to fulfill our destiny as imitators of Christ and God. Please, somebody say amen. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I seem excited, but it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think of that. And we could stop there. We could stop there. And it sounds so good. But let's look at this verse in context because something happens. So he goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved by him. Amen. The ones who believe in him is not, the one who believes in him is not condemned. And again, we like to stop right there. But he goes on, the one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Now this is the basis for judging, that light has come into the world and the people love the darkness. John John uses this light and darkness terminology. He starts off with it in John 1 and and he constantly revisits it as he goes through his book. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that that his deeds have been done in 
God. Man, it would have just been so much easier if we had stopped before the about, about condemnation. I mean, what a buzzkill, right? I mean, we really struggle with this in our society. We really struggle with the idea that, that there is going to be this judgment with it. Or am I the only one that struggles with it? But listen, the way that, the, the way that John puts it together, he, he intertwines it. He marries it to this idea of God's love. So what, what can that possibly mean? I want to present to you, I want to offer to you a couple reasons as I've meditated and struggled with this over the years. And again, you're, you, I don't want you to believe in me just because I have the microphone. I mean, yeah, we work hard. I want you to listen because there's a lot of people in this church who devote a lot of time and effort to studying this. But ultimately, ultimately, we have to wrestle with this together. And here's the first reason why I think, why I think we have to have this in here for us to fully appreciate the love of God. Because I think if we stop, we get a narrow view of the, of the love of God. I think if we just stop with the good stuff, the happy stuff, we don't fully understand how good it is until we look at it in the context of this. And here's the first thing. Look, as human beings, we love to think we've earned what we have. I mean, at least the good stuff, right? Like, we love to think it's been my hard work, it's been my sacrifices, it's been my energy, it's been my intellect. It's been, like, like I've had to work hard and I deserve the good things that I have because I've worked hard, right? I mean, we, we have a whole society that rewards that, that encourages that, that says, yes, work hard. You deserve what you get when you work hard. You deserve what you get when you're better than the next guy. When you win, you deserve the trophy with that. And we like to measure ourselves against others. And that's just kind of how we go through the world, right? Is, well, at least I'm not that bad. Or look at that guy. I want to be like him, so I'm going to work hard to earn what he's done. Or I want to be like her. Or at least I'm not her. I mean, we, we rank ourselves. We order ourselves. We are constantly in our minds swiping right or swiping left with people that we meet. Where do we fit, above or below? And that's how we go through life. Listen, this blinds us, this way of going through life like that blinds us to God's work in our life. It blinds us to the destiny we have. Scripture makes clear that our destiny is wrapped up in being born from above. Not what we earned, not how good we are, not how bad we are, but our, our identity in being born from above. And so when we deal with these ideas of condemnation, we have to understand that, that those things lead to condemnation. That way of earning is a way of condemning. And it's not the way that God designed us to live. And so we have to call it out. We have to name it so that we can avoid it, so that we can turn our backs on it, so that we can turn to something else, because otherwise we'll just fall straight back into it. 
Otherwise, we'll take this faith, this thing that Jesus offers us, as just a way of being a better person. Escaping the bad place, like I said, when we die, but I can essentially live like I want to now. And we have to call out and condemn that way of living in order to embrace what is new. Now, here's the second thing. And listen, this is hard for us because we're all here relatively well-washed, <laughs> relatively clean, right? We all showed up. We're not, we're not coming in here too much of a mess. And we've got relative order in our homes, in our cars, in our bank accounts. I mean, we may encounter some struggles, but most of us are doing relatively well. But listen, that's not the case for most of the world, y'all. It's just not the case for most of the world. We live in a privileged place in time and in history and in geography by being here. And it's easy for us to lose sight of the effects of evil in the world and what it does. It's easy for us to lose sight that there is serious darkness in this place, in this world. And that evil has to be dealt with. That evil cannot be ignored or excused or wished away. And God deals with that through this love. God makes a way out of that through this love. And we don't really appreciate it if we don't really understand the depth of the problem. We'll never be able to fully grasp the depth of God's love, the generosity of the gift, this opportunity to be born from above, set free from the condemnation of the flesh, set free from having to earn and strive and ultimately fail until we understand how bad evil really is and what it costs us and what it cost God. If we're going to take Scripture seriously, we're going to have to deal with this. And let me tell you, it's not easy. I'm not offering any easy answers here. I'm not offering any easy solutions. This is something we have to wrestle with. Long and hard, we have to wrestle with this. But we have a way of doing that. And that is by faith in Jesus. And that is by embracing the gift of his love. And that is by embracing our born-again identity as we go. This doesn't allow us to have any kind of false arrogance or pride or anything like that. It is the most humbling of gifts that creates in us nothing but compassion for those who are lost. While still calling what is evil, evil. In our lesson planning this week, Andrew Brewer made the comment, he says, faith doesn't do away with the mystery, but it makes the mystery okay. And the table kind of sat for a moment as the truth of this sank in. Look, we're swimming in deep waters here. We've just taken a verse that most of us are used to seeing a guy at a football game hold up, right? John 3.16. And thinking we know what's going on. Listen, we haven't got the first idea of what's going on. 
this verse, this idea of God's love, this way of being born from above, this idea of being adopted into God's family, this idea of being released from condemnation to be agents of reconciliation in the world and trying to reconcile people who are already condemned just because of they, they don't know their origin, they haven't been born again, they haven't been born from above, they're still stuck in their, in their birth by water and they haven't been born by the Spirit and how we're called to enter into that and to love and to reconcile, that's that's overwhelming. And it takes all of us together and each of us giving the most to that to somehow understand it. And that's what we do when we gather here on Sundays. That's what we do when we gather in our grace groups. That's what we do when we take our learning guide and we walk through it and we, and we practice sitting with the scripture and repeating it and letting it work into us and turn us towards the light of Jesus. That's what we do when we submit ourselves to one another. We give up our personal preferences for the good of the whole. That's That's why we do church. That's why we do this thing together is to somehow understand that and walk in it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and in a minute we're going to take communion together we're going to come to the Lord's table now here's the thing about identity here's the thing when you're born born into the family of God you know what you get a place at this table this is your table now you're not a guest this isn't a restaurant where you come in and you pay no this is this is the family table And as we have been born by the Spirit, born above, you are welcome at this table because it's your family table. This is our family dinner table. And Jesus is our brother who offers himself to reconcile us, who offers himself to remind us, who when he was with his disciples on that last night and he took the bread and he broke it, he said, do this in remembrance of me. I've done this for you. I have been broken that you might be healed. And he says, take and drink this cup. My blood has been poured out so that you could be poured into the Holy Spirit and receive new life and no condemnation. This table is ours as followers of Jesus. Every man, every woman, every child in here equal and equally welcome to take and be part of the family of God. Thank you for being here. We don't dismiss my rose here. Lucian's going to lead us um, as we sing. As you feel ready, you can come up. You can take it. If you need someone to pray with you, you've got something you're wrestling with, I'm available. There's other people available. Find someone that you're, you're comfortable with to pray with. We'll also take up an offering, which we do as an act of worship here. And then towards the end, we have a special benediction that will dismiss us as we leave. Thank you for being here this morning.